0: The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family, dogs, cats, even horses, in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7 P-E-T-C-L-U-B 247, Pet Club 247.
1: Welcome, everybody. Uh, I am Dr. Kelly Victory, filling in for Dr. Drew today. Drew is tied up with some other obligations, and so I am uh, driving the ship myself today. Uh, Thrilled to be joined with two really great guests. Uh, They will not be on together, but sequentially, um, Reggie Littlejohn, super excited. She is the um, co-founder of the Sovereignty Coalition and the Stop Vaccine Pass. Task Force. Uh, she's an expert really on what is going on with the WHO and we're in this pending treaty. Uh, looking forward to getting into the weeds on that so that I understand more uh, really what's in that treaty and what it would mean for us looks to me on FOSS to be uh, a sort of tyrannical power grab, but I'm hoping that Reggie's going to really uh, fill us in on that. And then I've got uh, Dr. William Macus uh, who's going to join us as well. He's a repeat guest and is going to really be talking about some of the uh, terrifying data, frankly, with regard to uh, cancers and increased cancer rates on the heels of this global vaccine rollout. Uh, and I was thinking just a little bit, by the way, I was happy to have uh, Reggie for for many, many reasons. Uh, one of them was to get away from talking just about COVID. And at the risk of, you know, I don't want to be that person who's constantly running around like a bandy rooster talking about, you know, the next fear fest. Um, you know, I, I've been very openly uh, and, and vocal about the, the, um, this fear mongering that's gone on for the past three and a half years. And I don't want to be that person who goes from COVID to the next uh, fear fest. That said, I feel some element of obligation to bring a focus to and to shed some light on some of the other things that are that are going on that are what I, Perceived to be real threats to our sovereignty, threats to our democracy, um, and and I think that what is going on at the WHO and the UN is quite terrifying. So um, at the risk of being again a, a somebody who's perceived as as talking about the sky falling once again, I think this is something we need to delve into. And then with with Dr. Macus is going to talk about with regard to these cancer rates again. I think it's something that we are. Obligated to be aware of uh, and to talk about and decide really whether this is something that should cause us grave concern. So, uh, we're going to go to you know start with our, our uh, brief intro and, and a couple of ads, and then when I come back, I will be joined by Reggie Littlejohn.
0: you go to treatment before you kill people i am a clinician i observe things about these chemicals let's just deal with what's real we used to get these calls on loveline all the time educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat if you have trouble you can't stop and you want to help stop it i can help i got a lot to say i got a lot more to say these products have transformed my life and susan's and save marriage. Discover the key to oral hygiene, regardless of your current daily dental routine, whether you diligently brush and floss multiple times a day, or you struggle, you got bleeding gums, bad breath, plaque buildup, this revelation is for both of you. Surprisingly, over 350,000 Americans experience health issues that may be connected to their toothbrush or even caused by it, ranging from heart or blood sugar problems, forgetfulness, digestive difficulties, immune issues, all related to oral hygiene. Scientific studies have shown that a simple switch of your toothbrush can lead to a healthier teeth and potentially save your marriage. Yes, save your marriage. Our study. We did a personal study. My wife, Susan, hates the sound of the sonic toothbrushes. But introducing the real white sonic toothbrush, of course, also their Hydroxyapatite Dirty Mouth Mineral Toothpaste by Primal Life Organics, these products have transformed my life and Susan's And saved our marriage. It's much quieter. It's a very powerful toothbrush, but it is quiet and it saved our marriage. So the Real White Sonic Toothbrush from Primal Life Organics stands out among all other electric toothbrushes I've tried. It effectively eliminates plaque, harmful bacteria, promotes gum health. Get yours and enjoy 60% off at naturaltoothbrush.com slash D-R-E-W.
1: All right, welcome back. I'm going to be joined now with uh, Reggie Littlejohn, who I said uh, previously. Uh, I knew of her actually uh, from her work in women's rights. She's the president of uh, of uh, Women's Rights Without Borders. Uh, she more recently has been a co-founder of the Sovereignty Coalition and the Stop Vaccine Passports um task force she is an oh and incidentally also has a jd from a law degree from yale university um, she's an expert clearly at what's going on with uh the world health organization in the u.n uh, and i really want to get as i said get into the weeds a little bit on the details of what is it that the world health organization is trying to do with this treaty what does the treaty actually say what would the implications be Uh, What is the U.S. doing or not doing in response to this pending treaty and those sorts of things. Um, So let's bring on uh, Reggie Littlejohn to join me. Reggie. Thank you for being here. Um, as I said, I, I, I knew of you based on your work really on women's issues and abortion issues and things of that sort long before um, the COVID debacle came down the pike. Uh, now you are the person who I would look to really for the details on what is going on Uh, with the World Health Organization. I have never been a fan of the WHO uh, and these last three and a half years have validated that concern. Um, But let's, before we even get truly into the sort of the ramifications or implications of this treaty, take a few minutes and give us a primer. What, uh, What is the treaty, the WHO treaty? We've had other people on, Dr. Kat Lindley in the past to talk a little bit about it, but. Take a few minutes and actually explain what is it that's on the table? And then we'll talk about what it might mean for, for us and the rest of the world.
2: Well, I'm, I'm happy to do that. And um, also just to clarify, when, when we talk about women's rights without frontiers, I founded that to stop forced abortion in China. So that's the, and, and it's because of my work uh, watching coercive population control and the way that China, um, the totalitarian reg- regime in China, the way it came, it's coming all over the world now uh, through the WHO and the United Nations. So as my background in Chinese human rights um, that has enabled me to see how the China model is being exported worldwide mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. the World Health Organization and the United Nations and, uh, and also other globalist organizations. So with respect to the pandemic treaty, and the International Health Regulations. There are two documents that are being negotiated right now um, at the World Health Organization. One is amendments to the International Health Regulations. The other one is a pandemic treaty. They work together to create what I believe is a totalitarian globalist uh, medical police state, basically. So the the international health regulations, what they want to do is they want to do things like de- delete the words um, "non-binding" to turn the World Health Organization from an advisory body into a body that has the power of coercion. Um, and then when you combine that with the band- pandemic treaty, uh, but first of all, I should just say the the World Health Organization does not call this a treaty; it calls it a, a framework a um, convention, it calls it anything but a treaty because it doesn't want it to have to go through the US Senate and the other legislative bodies for ratification. The mm-hmm. way that that ratification works within the World Health Assembly is, every country gets one vote. So the United States gets a vote, one vote, same as the smallest country in the world gets one vote. And if it passes, in the case of a treaty, it would have to be a uh, 75%, three quarters pass rate, I believe. So in any case, or it might be 66%, but in, in any case, it's, it's a super majority. So the point is um, they don't want to call it a treaty because they don't want it to have to go through a second um, kind of ratification, but what it will do is it will interfere with the doctor-patient relationship. The World Health Organization wants the power to say what medications you can and cannot have, and also what medications you must have. They want the power to force vaccination. They want the power to enable, basically to, to tell the United States if we have a, a pandemic or any kind of a health event in the United States, um, they they want the power to tell us that we have to have mask mandates, uh, vaccine mandates, lockdowns, whatever it is, they will call the shots. And that's why we founded the Co- Sovereignty Coalition, because this will, uh, absolutely destroy US sovereignty and the sovereignty of any country in the world if you have a, an organization a globalist organization outside of your country telling you what you have to do then you're no longer a sovereign nation you're no longer making your sovereign decisions over healthcare not only that but they but in order to let's say that they decide in the next pandemic that they that everybody needs to be vaccinated they can use that as a pretext to force basically a surveillance so what they will do with this surveillance is um they want to, to have what well they want to have basically vaccine passport although the stop vaccine passports task force i think did a lot to make that nomenclature um uh, basically uh toxic or radioactive so now they call it a digital id but it doesn't matter what you call it. It could be called a smart health card, digital ID, excelsior pass, whatever it is. If it's a mandatory digital ID, it can give rise to the China social credit system, and that's actually how I came into this issue because of my work in China. Um, I saw that the, the that the that the vaccine passport would support the platform that they have in China, which is that they they surveil everything about you, like okay, real. Facial recognition, real-time geolocation. They know what you look like. They know where you are. Uh, all your social media posts, your internet search history, your internet spending history, all of that. and they come up with a number about how compliant of a citizen that you are. Are you do you never make any waves? And so if you do make waves, they can that your social credit score will go down, and then they can do things like you can lose your job. Um, ultimately, what they can do is they can cut you off from your, finances. Um, and if you think that this can't happen in the West, it actually happened to the Canadian truckers when they had their, their, um, their, uh, demonstration against vaccine mandates, the Canadian government with the bank off.
1: So so let's stop there. A lot to unpack there. Uh, First of all, if if this is predicated on uh, or based on whether or not you make waves, my social credit scores are going to be in the gutter. Uh, I'm in a heap of trouble. Um, (laughs) But you, you said a lot there. First of all, I have from the very beginning said, and I've said many times on this show, in my opinion, the WHO is the long arm of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, they are That's one right. in the same. Fundamentally, they are one in the same. Dr. Tedros, you know, who is not, you know, not actually a medical doctor, who runs the WHO is a bad actor on his own. He's uh, he's been involved with some really heinous uh, crimes around the world. But if we talk about really what this would be, you made a really critical point that I hope is not lost on people. Right now, the WHO is not a regulatory, authoritarian body. They don't make legislation. They don't have any control. They're supposed to be, remember, like the CDC is in this country. But what we saw happen during this pandemic was that the CDC took on powers that it doesn't actually have. All of a sudden, they were calling the shots. And half of America, more than half probably, believes that the CDC actually is a regulatory body that they actually have that power that they were wielding and they don't so now if this treaty were to pass or whatever the, whatever we're going to call it we're not going to call it a treaty agreement would the uh, WHO? Be- yeah okay so we're so so we're it, not, it, it,
2: we-, we should because that's what it is yeah
1: okay so yeah so if this treaty were to pass would the WHO then be you know, christened with some new actual authority? Or is it just we're abdicating this authority
2: to them because they said so? So what, what you're getting at is a really important point, which is the WHO actually, they're an unelected, unaccountable body with no formal power unless we give it to them. So right. somebody who didn't give it to them was president trump he withdrew from the who if we had a president would stand up against them they would have no power right now we do not have a president that will stand up against them but actually it's behind what they're doing and that's why we're so vulnerable because we because the protections that we should have are not working and, and interesting so, go, ahead,
1: go ahead keep going sorry i was going to say well, I was you, just you gonna... re- go
2: ahead sorry i what what i wanted to say is In the treaty, okay, they have something called One Health, and maybe um, we can just put up that One Health chart. So that's the the next one. That's the World Economic Forum. The first chart is One Health. Yeah. So you can see in the One Health chart um, that what they want to do is they want to take jurisdiction over er human health, animal health, and the environment, basically every aspect of life on earth. And so if there's a, if there's a, a, a health threat or even a potential health threat, they can step in. What they want to be able to do is just step in and just take over and tell us how to handle it. So, um, so this is very, very dangerous. And then not only do they want to surveil us in terms of our vaccination status but or any other me- medical status, they want to surveil us in terms of our social media posts, um, and because they want to be able to basically have a global ministry of truth, where they um, where they're trying to to stop mi- quote unquote misinformation and disinformation um, from spreading, and so what what they're what they what they're asking nations to do is to actively surveil people's social media to make sure that they don't post things that are counter narrative to the WHO, whereas perhaps the greatest purveyor of misinformation and disinformation about the origins of of the COVID um, virus and also uh, whether or not the vaccines were safe and effective, 100% safe, 100% effective is what they were saying in the beginning. That, in my opinion, is misinformation and disinformation.
1: Yeah, and I got to say Reggie, one of the things that jumps out to me and I think is perhaps not readily apparent to people who aren't in public health or aren't in in, in healthcare is when you talk about if there you know a global emergency or a a global crisis or a global threat that's in the eye of the beholder. Those things are very loosely defined. Who, dis- who determines if something's, I don't know about you, I don't happen to, you know, I'm afraid of a lot of things right now. Climate change isn't one of them. Um, so to me, that is not a crisis or a threat. Um, who is the, de- who's the uh, you know, the, the determiner of these? Who gets to decide? Who's the decider in the words of George Bush, uh, whether or not something is actually a crisis?
2: Okay. He has a name. His name is Dr. Tedros Gebris- Ge- it, it It's the director general of the WHO that gets to decide what constitutes a crisis or a potential crisis. And you're absolutely right. It could be a health-related thing, or it could be depression, or it could be climate change, or it could be gun violence. It's whatever he decides is a health threat. And then, it, and then, it, then they get to move in and tell us how to handle it so um, and that, i just also i said
1: that we have seen that we have seen that happening in the united states as you well know it's you simply do, announce that something is a public health crisis first it was covid then it was climate change and then and then you use that announcement that something is a public health crisis in order to eliminate people's civil liberties or you announce that gun violence is a crisis and we can now suspend the second um, amendment, uh, you know, if you're the governor of certain states, or you think that you can. So this idea of uh, martial law as public health policy, or the idea that we determine that something's a public health crisis, whatever the heck it is, uh, and then you can... so. Th- that part of this treaty I find extraordinarily concerning because they can essentially they just decide if Tedros is, you know, who as I said, not actually a medical doctor and has a very sordid background, um, if he decides something's a crisis, then all of a sudden the treaty takes effect. Correct?
2: Correct. Uh, and then, and just as all of these different. Things that you you named, um, you know, gun violence or whatever else, could be serve as a pretext for uh, for the suspension of civil liberties. The 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 threat of some kind of a health crisis serves as a pretext for this. Digital ID, which is supposed to help us with our right. health, but I'd like to put on that second um, chart about everything that the World Economic Forum wants us to, ha- you know, to have to have the digital ID in order to do. Because this digital ID is going to be used to totally control our lives. So if you look at this chart, this is right, right from the World Economic Forum, and you will see that the, that you need um, a digital ID to access insurance and medical treatment to open bank accounts and carry out financial transactions, to travel, to access humanitarian aid. So if you have a tsunami or a fire in your area, you're gonna have to have a digital ID to get any kind of humanitarian aid, Um, to shop online, to use social media, uh, to vote, to file your taxes, to collect government benefits, in other words, social security and Medicare, to own uh, cell phones and computers. Um, So basically, They're calling this, you know, a digital ID and oh yes, this is just to make sure that everybody's safe, you know, that everybody's vaccinated and to to check your health status and all that. No, they want to control your entire life through these digital IDs. And and the um, World Health Organization has already connected with the European Union um, to spread this kind of a digital ID all over the world.
1: It's terrifying to me. And so I wanna, you know, at this point, it's my understanding that this is one of those you have to opt out kind of things that if you my understanding is that the treaties on the table and unless you as a country a member nation of the who unless you stand up and say no we have concerns we we don't want to do that then you are fun otherwise you're automatically opted in or considered to be on board with this unless you voice that you, you know, there's a requirement for you to opt out. And the countries, by the way, I think there are 11 countries to date that have voiced concerns and they're countries like Syria and Iran and Cuba and Belarus. You know who's not on that list? Who hasn't spoken up? The United States, okay? You know, so, so there's sort of a tacit you know, agreement that, we, that our current administration is on board with this or am I misinterpreting that?
2: No, I, I, I don't think you're misinterpreting it at all, and I think it's more than tacit because um, it was our administration that really sort of launched the effort to have these um, these amendments to the international health regulations, and you know, our, our administration has over and over again uh, voiced support for all of this. So, so, so in terms of President Trump withdrew us from the WHO, President Biden is not right. going to do that. Okay, so the best that we can hope for is to, to defund it. And the sovereignty coalition and the people who've been backing the sovereignty coalition have had a major um, a, a, a major victory lately. So earlier this year, before we even founded the sovereignty coalition, there was a bill or two in Congress to defund um, or withdraw from the WHO, but it wasn't getting any traction. We ran a campaign and, and had, I don't know, several hundred thousand emails sent to members of Congress Six weeks later, 18 members of Congress got together on the Hill and said, We need to defund and we need to withdraw from the WHO. So that was a huge victory there. Then a couple of those people who got up, who stood up, turns out that they were on a subcommittee of the Appropriations Committee. And that subcommittee passed a bill saying that the WHO should be defunded. So we said, Oh, that's amazing. But then the appropriations of the, the vote of the entire Appropriations Committee was coming up very shortly so the night before that vote came up we did another campaign and people got out and and emailed and called people and every member of the appropriations committee had 5500 emails in their inbox overnight saying defund the who The Appropriations Committee defunded the WHO, and then just recently in these negotiations, um, we've learned that uh, that has stood, that that is the recommendation of the entire um, Congress. The House of Representatives has recommended defunding the WHO. That would not have happened, I don't believe, without our efforts and the efforts of all the people who got behind us and made their voices heard to Congress that we need to defund the WHO. Now, it still needs to pass through the Senate, still needs to be signed by president biden um but we we never would have dreamed we would have gotten this far eight or nine months ago
1: no that that is spectacular work because i can tell you uh as a citizen i look at that list of things that you're talking about that a a digital idea would control and you can you know you can explain away one thing or say yeah i'm not worried if they've you know vaccine mandates or i'm not worried about them limiting my you know, checking account, I'll find a way around it, or I'm not worried. But when you put all of those things together and say you would be controlled, you, it would be fundamentally impossible to survive in that world without participating. You wouldn't, there wouldn't be a workaround in my mind. You wouldn't be able to, to opt out of the digital idea. I just, I can't see how you could do it. Um, it. It looks terrifying to me.
2: Well, that's exactly right. And that's why we call it the digital gulag. So it, yeah. it, 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 the the two parts of it are the digital ID and the central bank digital currency. Because the way that they enforce this digital ID is by shutting off your money. And if you have a, a central bank digital currency and no cash, then there's then you are truly trapped in the digital gulag. Right. And that's why we have to stand up now while we still can. Reggie,
1: help me understand. We've got you. Were, the clock's winding down, but help me understand. What is the relationship between? The WHO's partici- their portion of this, and the UN's. They're, they're, how, how do these, how do, they, I'm naive. How, you fill
2: me in. <laughs> no problem. Okay. So I, I like that last chart up, the UN chart. Um, so uh, there, there's a, a new N, a UN chart about um, global disasters. So the, the WHO is, the, um, is the, the health arm of the United Nations. They want to take over the world and um, in, 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 in establish a global government through health. But the United Nations also um, doesn't want to be left out. And they are um, they have submitted a policy brief that says that they want a, a global emergency platform that will operationalize automatically in the case of certain um, certain events, okay, emergency platform. And these are the events. So you can see here, a major climactic uh, event, um, also uh, a pandemic risk, they would do that through the WHO, cyberspace disruption, a disruption in the global internet. So the, the UN can take over the way that the, the WHO has, wants to take over a major event in outer space, believe it or not, or an unforeseen Black Swan event, which would include anything else. So basically it's like it, like the United Nations and, and the World Health Organization, together between the two of them and in tandem, want to establish a one world government. One is through the World Health Organization, and the other one is through um, and one, one is through, health and the other one is through climate change and anything else so between the two of them they are determined to i believe rob us of our our, um our national sovereignty and our personal medical freedom and all of our other freedoms so so i would urge people go ahead
1: I would say what it feels like, Reggie, is that the UN component is sort of, in case we left anything out of the WHO piece that we want to control, you know, we're the mop, we're the mop. Everything else is, you know, falls under this umbrella. So if we left anything out that we want to control about you from the WHO, fear not, it's controlled under this UN plan. Uh, So that it really feels like a, just a, a tyrannical global power grab that would, absolutely change really forever the face of the globe. I mean, sovereignty is exactly the word. We would absolutely abdicate our sovereignty, our control over our constitution, all of our rights, and even the concept of being a sovereign nation would would go away if, you know, if this were to happen.
2: That's right. What they want, Klaus Schwab recently said something along the lines of um, we don't want Nation states. We want to, you know, stakeholders, and who are the stakeholders? The stakeholders are basically the members of the World, world Economic Forum. They want one world. They don't. They don't want separate nations, um, and and they're using the, the the like you talked about the sort of the fear porn um, to right. get people to give up their rights. It's like, oh, I don't care. You know, if I'm an American, I'm I'm a global citizen, and you know, help me because I'm worried that I'm going to die. You know. Uh, and, and that's what they're doing. They're they're trying to intimidate us all and terrify us all into giving up our rights. And we have to stand up and just say no. So I, I would urge people to um, go to the Sovereignty Coalition, uh, so- sovereigntycoalition.org and take action there. Um, I would urge people to go to the Stop Vaccine Passports Task Force. We have the best set of webinars in the world on on these subjects. And I would urge people to follow me on Getter. I'm at Reggie Littlejohn at Reggie Little oh no at Real Reggie Littlejohn at Real Reggie Littlejohn on Getter, and I, I post constant updates. True, that's
1: awesome. And you're also on uh, Twitter, correct? At Reggie Little J H N or or not so much, no, mostly Getter.
2: I, I was kicked off of Twitter um, in a weird <laughs> Good way. Good for no, you. No, no, I was, for for saying that there should not be mandatory vaccines of six month old babies for COVID, and they haven't let me back on. You can see me, but I cannot post on that okay. account. But I, but I'm on gotcha. Twitter a little bit, a little account. It's called at end genderside at and genderside. But it's just tiny. It's like you know. It's a tiny account.
1: It, say again, what, so we can get it up there with the um, the sovereignty coalition, because that's really, I think, what people need to be uh, addressing. We need all hands on deck here. This is critical. This is no longer sort of a uh, you know a theoretical risk. This is not an existential threat. Uh, this is the real thing. And I'd love your take. By the way, you know what is the likelihood? I mean, where do you sit on this, Reggie? Do you th- what is the likelihood that they can get this thing to pass, or that this digital ID can actually come to fruition during our lifetime
2: hundred um, percent okay because it's just it's one country one vote it's going to pass and i and I say that because I don't want people to be crestfallen when it fa- when it passes it doesn't mean that that we're doomed because we can still defund them we can still elect an administration that will withdraw from them um, we can still you know save ourselves but But please, to the to the listeners, don't expect somebody else to come and save you. You have to be a part of this movement. I mean, this, you know, if you don't take action now, don't don't think, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it next week, I'll do it next year, I'm busy, whatever. If if we don't stand up for this now and this digital gulag snap shut, there will be no more dissent because as soon as you try to dissent, like, you know, like you and me, Dr. Kelly, immediately, uh, you know, we'll get shut off from our money and who knows whatever else if this all goes through and they will just silence us and they will paralyze us.
1: I'll tell you, if this isn't terrifying, I don't know what is. Uh, you, my, I had zero fear for a, uh, a quote, novel virus, uh, n- not a bit. Uh, but this to me is is really terrifying. And I do hope that people pay heed and, and take action, you know, not only to educate themselves, but to really support this and to make sure that we get this thing defunded, um, or or we are looking at a whole you know, talk about a brave new world. It's um, it's not going anywhere good. Um, listen, thank you so much. I hope that you will come back. Uh, it, we need constant updates. We need regular updates on where we are on this, what you see coming down, what people can be doing or should be doing. But we need regular updates. This is happening in real time. I know the UN just met. You know, that meeting was September 20th. Um, the United States has not uh, got gotten where they need to be compared, as I said, to other nations like Syria, Iran, and Cuba. Cuba, um, that have all managed to uh, speak up against this. Uh, so hopefully we will make some headway, but please, uh, please promise us you will come back and join us again.
2: Oh, I would love to. It would be my honor and my pleasure.
1: Well, thanks for, thank you very much. We're going to take a, a quick break here, as I said, folks, and we're going to come back with uh, Dr. William Mackis after the break.
0: I think everyone knows the next medical crisis could be just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of another pandemic or something much more routine, like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company, we have their physicians on like Dr. McCullough frequently. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals you can trust. And their new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy. It's
1: really, it's a safety net. It's an insurance policy that you hope you're not going to need, but if you need it, you sure as heck are going to wish you had it if you need it.
0: Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin, z pack The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all these life-saving medications. From anthrax to tick bites, to COVID-19, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured, knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to help you and your family stay safe from whatever life throws at you next. Go to drdrew.com slash TWC. That is com forward slash TWC. To get 10% off today, just click on that link. Fall is right around the corner, which means dry, flaky red skin from allergy season is coming with it. But the best way to take care of your skin is with our skincare secret, Genucel. You don't need to worry about that puffy, tired eye look or those annoying dark spots or even dry, flaky skin because Genucel skincare has you covered. Susan and I love our Genucel products so much, we want you to try our personally curated skincare bundles. It's risk-free at GenuCell.com slash Drew. GenuCell works so well, you can see the results in this unplanned live moment on our show when the Redness Repair Cream repaired my skin in just minutes right before your eyes. Their concentrated vitamin C serum helps keep your skin plump and hydrated. Plus, with their immediate effects, you can see astonishing results in under 12 hours. Quick, effective, and easy. Go to GenuCell.com slash Drew right now to try our bundles and save over 60% today. And remember to enroll in Genucel's world-class concierge program for additional savings and free shipping. Don't wait. It's GenuCell.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash D-R-E-W. There are three reasons the central banks are dumping the U.S. dollar. Inflation, deficit spending, and our insurmountable national debt. The fact is there is one asset that has withstood famine, wars, political and economic upheaval dating back to biblical times, gold. And you can own it in a tax shelter retirement account with the help of Birch Gold. That's right. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k, maybe from a previous employer, into an IRA in gold. And the best part, you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Just visit birchgold.com drew for your free info kit. They'll hold your hand through the entire process. Think about this. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. I do not give financial advice, and previous performance is no guarantee of future performance. Visit birchgold.com slash drew to get your free info kit on gold. That is B-I-R-C-H-D-O-L-D dot slash D-R-E-W. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. If this episode ends here, the rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv.
1: There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate of public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme
2: on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew.
1: And uh, Dr. Macus, uh, welcome back as well. We're thrilled. It's been some months since you've been here. Really happy to see you again. Uh, unfortunately, I, I hate what we're going to be talking about, but uh, but thrilled that you're here. I gave you an improper uh, introduction or inadequate, I should say. Um, you are a, a physician based in, in Canada. You're an expert in radiology, oncology, and immunology. Uh, and you've been someone who I've relied upon along with, with others with regard to evaluation uh, specifically of the cancer rates and cancers that we're seeing on the heels of these um mRNA vaccines um oh and i didn't mention by the way you just joined the uh wellness company so congrats on on that um many of our good friends of the good friends of the show are, are associated with the wellness company so happy about that but uh let's start with i had predicted um unfortunately and i hate that i am right i'd predicted at before the vaccines were ever launched to the public, that they would have a profound impact on the immune system. And as a result of that alone, um, would likely in- cause increased cancer rates um, just because of their immunological impact. So let's start, if you would, just by talking a little bit about what you are seeing in the data in the numbers um, with regard to cancers, what kinds of cancers, those sorts of things. And then maybe we'll get into the weeds, you and I, about the um, perhaps some of the the uh, pathology of that, why that might be some theories for why we're seeing these, uh, these numbers.
3: You know, Dr. Kelly, uh, I've been tracking um, these turbo cancers as they're being called, these very aggressive cancers that are showing up in young COVID vaccinated people. The youngest case I've reported is a 12 year old boy who had a Moderna vaccine and came down with uh, end stage brain cancer that killed him in less than a year. I'm seeing it in teenagers, in university and college students who were mandated to take COVID vaccines. People in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s are coming down with stage four cancers. Uh, These cancers are presenting at a late stage, stage three, but usually stage four. These are lymphomas, leukemias. These are breast cancers, colon cancers, lung cancers, hepatobiliary cancers, testicular cancers in young men, ovarian cancers in women, uh, kidney cancers, renal cell cancers, melanomas, skin cancers, uh, and sarcomas as well. So these are the types of cancers that are showing up in a younger cohort than oncologists expect. They're showing up at a late stage. Uh, The tumors can grow very large. Uh, So some of these tumors are described as football sized, uh, even watermelon sized, you know, these are 10, 15 centimeter tumors and they're very aggressive and, and they really, they spread very rapidly. So even when the surgeons are trying to get at them, trying to surgically excise them so that they could control the tumor, what they usually find after surgery is that the tumor has already spread. It's already spread to the lymph nodes. It's already spread to the lungs or the bones very aggressive cancers, uh, and really uh, related to the COVID-19 vaccines specifically, and, and mRNA vaccines, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines.
1: Well, one of the things, let me just step back for a second, because one of the things that might not be um, known to our audience uh, is that all cancers are not created equal with regard to the, the population that they hit. Uh, you know, For example, we, we not uncommonly and tragically see certain blood cancers in children, leukemias, for example. Uh, it wouldn't be uncommon uh, to, to see a brain tumor, brain cancers, sometimes in young children. It would be extraordinary. Ordinarily uncommon to see a colon cancer in somebody uh, before the fourth or fifth decade. Very uncommon to see a lung cancer before the fourth or fifth decade. Um, Those sorts of things. Extremely uncommon to see. So some of these cancers that we are seeing, and I think you're getting at that, things like these colon cancers, we are now seeing colon cancers in people in their late teens, 20s, and 30s. And again, as you said, very aggressive colon cancers. So it's not just that cancers per se, but it's seeing cancers in in groups of people in whom they've, I'd never seen a colon cancer in somebody under the age of 45 in my life until these COVID vaccines. Um, So let's, in terms of, just to put some uh, magnitude on it, in terms of, give us some sense of the magnitude versus what we would have considered to be the baseline numbers for cancer rates.
3: You know, it's very hard to get a sense of this because uh, it's almost impossible to get good cancer data from, from the governments. Uh, you know, uh, Ed Dowd has talked about this, um, the difficulty of getting good data. You know, I've tried to get cancer data here in Canada from Statistics Canada, from the Canadian Cancer Society, and they are not reporting any data from 2021 or 2022, it seems they're holding this data back. And so I'm left with anecdotal evidence. And when Ed Dowd, you know, he'll report from US insurance data that disability rates um, in the working population, let's say ages 18 to 64, uh, who abided by the COVID vaccine mandates, disability rates are 500% higher. Mm-hmm compared to the working population who dropped out of the workforce and didn't want to get the vaccines. Well, a big portion of those disabilities are these cancers, are these cancer diagnoses. Uh, And so, you know, I'm seeing an explosion of these cancers. I'm seeing it in doctors. I'm seeing it in nurses. I'm seeing it in other vaccine-mandated professions. So all types of healthcare workers. I'm seeing it in teachers. I'm seeing it in police officers, firefighters, the military Um, You know, you see it in flight attendants, for example, you know, you had uh, uh, these airlines that wanted to have 100% vaccinated workforce. Uh, So really anywhere where there were very strict COVID vaccine mandates, that's where I'm seeing these explosions of these very aggressive cancers. And I can tell you, this year, 2023, uh, seems to be much worse. There's many more cases of these turbo cancers than in 2022 or 2021. The trend is upwards. The numbers are on the rise. You can see this uh, on websites like GoFundMe. If you go on GoFundMe and you put stage four cancer and you can pick whatever cancer you want, you could put breast cancer, you could put lung cancer, colon cancer. Not only are you seeing the shocking ages, young ages of these individuals who are reporting their cancers and their fundraising because they lose their jobs when they're undergoing chemotherapy, for example. But you see just how many people are suffering, are coming down from these cancers, uh, especially in 2023. Uh, it's just uh, unbelievable. It's, it's, it's a tsunami of, of cancer diagnoses.
1: Before we I, I get into the pathophysiology or some theories about why this is happening, can you classify, what are? if I said to you, what are the top three types of cancers that you're seeing? What, 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 what would you say? What are the top types of cancers?
3: The top three I can tell you that seem to come up over and over are lymphoma, brain mm-hmm. cancer, and really the most aggressive ones, the glioblastomas, and breast cancer. Mm-hmm. These seem to be the top three. If you wanna round out you know, the top five, top six, you gotta put in colon cancer, mm-hmm. uh, you have to put in lung cancer, testicular cancer, and the leukemias uh, are extremely aggressive. These leukemias, when they're being diagnosed, um, They are killing uh, the individual in a matter of weeks, days, or even hours after diagnosis. They are that aggressive.
1: Yeah. And speaking of aggressiveness, you know, not only with the data would show that I've seen is that it's not only new cancers, but the other thing is people who had cancers that had been deemed to be in remission many times for over a decade, people who'd had breast cancer in, were considered a cure or they'd had resected colon cancers years ago. And all of a sudden, not only is the cancer back, but it is back, as you said, with an aggressiveness that we have never seen. In other words, you know, they're they're not only growing quickly, but resistant to uh, to traditional therapies, chemotherapies, whatever. They they just aren't responding in the way that we've seen before. So, do you agree that we're seeing uh, resurgence of previously uh, cancers that have been previously in remission?
3: Absolutely. Um, and again, when the medical authorities try to explain this away by saying, well, you know, we missed a whole bunch of screenings and, you know, uh, people had their, you know, their cancer appointments canceled uh, for several months. And that's why we're seeing this surge of cancers. It does not explain the behavior of these cancers. And, And that is really the key, is that these cancers are behaving completely differently. You have recurrences of people who were in remission and these recurrences are extremely aggressive. Uh, you have the presentation at stage four in a very young groups, which is highly unusual. They grow very, very rapidly. They spread rapidly. And the, they're also resistant to conventional treatments. So these turbo cancers seem to be highly resistant to conventional chemotherapy regimens and conventional radiation therapy regimens or even immunotherapy regimens. You will see this uh, in testimonials of people on their GoFundMe pages. They will say... I found out my chemo didn't work. I found out, you know, the radiation therapy right. didn't work and the cancer just kept growing throughout treatment. Um, so this this is not explained by missed screenings or missed appointments. We are dealing with a, with a new phenomenon and a phenomenon where these cancers are behaving completely differently, unlike anything we've seen, unlike anything I've seen in my career. Uh, and I've diagnosed tens of thousands of cancer patients in my career And I have simply not seen this kind of behavior before. Uh, So this is not something we can just explain away uh, by some missed screenings and missed appointments.
1: First of all, I 100% agree with you. This is a re- direct result of the vaccines. I find it ironic, however, that the authorities are saying, no, it's not because of the vaccines. It's because of the one of the other things we did to screw people up, the lockdown. Okay, okay. You know, in other words, they're they're willing to say, no, it's not the vaccines. It's because everybody missed their screening appointments because of the other really stupid thing we did called a lockdown uh, and, and causing people to not get their routine screenings for breast cancer and colon cancer and skin cancer uh, is just ironic that they don't see any way you cut it. It's the responsibility of this grossly failed pandemic response. Um, But let's talk a little bit about, I have three kind of buckets that I would put, say that here are the three things that I think could be or likely are contributing to the cancer thing. For me, it's number one, the Im- impact on the immune system overall, and we could talk about the specifics of that, just the suppression of the immune system, which is critical to fighting cancer. Secondly, the toxicity of perhaps the spike proteins themselves. And thirdly would be the, the more the wild card, the issue of the lipid nanoparticles, that them being carcinogenic uh, or teratogenic by themselves. So let's talk about each of those. And you start whichever one of those three, the immune re- you know, system overall, uh, lipid nanoparticles, and spike proteins, and what component do you think um, might, you know, really be causing this?
3: I would actually sneak in a fourth category, and this fourth category would be DNA contamination of the Pfizer and Moderna okay, vials. good, yes, because yes. Because that's actually not supposed to be a component of the vaccine. This is a contaminant leftover from the manufacturing process. So I would put that as, a, as, a, as another category, uh, potentially uh, contributing to this surge of turbo cancers. But well, we can start with, uh, with the damage to the immune system. You know, I've, I've seen this damage to the immune system back in 2021 uh, when we had the first publications on negative vaccine efficacy and you started seeing the double vaccinated after a number of months, let's say six months, uh, they were getting infected with COVID-19 at, at higher rates, sometimes double, sometimes triple the rate of an unvaccinated person. And they started filling the hospitals and they started uh, filling the intensive care units and dying. And you could tell that from the data, from the government data, that there was severe immune system damage being inflicted on the double vaccinated. And then the triple vaccinated took over and they started filling up the hospitals. And then in Australia, the quadruple vaccinated were filling up the hospitals and were dying at record rates. And the Canadian and Australian governments responded by deleting all vaccine status data of people in the hospitals. So we didn't know uh, at some point who was dying, but it was it was the vaccinated who were making up 90% of the hospitalizations and deaths. So we already had evidence that the immune systems were being damaged in thousands of vaccinated people. And from the Cleveland Kleenex study, we know that the more vaccine doses you take, the more damage your immune system takes on, right. and so the more likely you are to get infected. But the problem with having a damaged immune system, and you know, we can get into the sort of the complicated details of that. But uh, we, when when you have a damaged immune system, you have damaged cancer surveillance. That's sort of the bottom line: is is yes. that you know your your T cells and your immune cells are constantly surveying your body for cancerous cells and mutated cells and destroying them, getting rid of them. If you have severe immune system damage that these mRNA vaccines seem to be causing, you lose that protection, you lose your immune system surveillance. And in some people, this seems to really be a very severe problem and it makes them uh, predisposed to getting these very aggressive cancers.
1: One of the things that I thought was very compelling was some studies that showed that there was a shift, a specific shift in the vaccinated to one of the immunoglobulins, IgG4. And IgG4 is supposed to be uh, represented in relatively small amounts. It's the immunoglobulin that, in layman's terms, tells you to ignore. Something that is foreign, you know, it's not in our best interest to constantly react to every foreign thing we come in contact with, because otherwise we'd be sneezing, sniffling, you know, uh, weepy messes every time we came across pollen or dust or whatever it is. So, IgG 4s job is to say, just ignore that. It's it's not self. It's a, it's a foreign uh, entity, but ignore it because it's not important. If you have a huge uptick, which is what we seem to be seeing in IgG4 levels in the multiply vaccinated individuals, what they're telling their immune the immune system, telling the body, ignore something that you shouldn't ignore, like an abnormal colon cell or an abnormal skin cell or you know a cancerous cell. So I fear that they are getting the the message to ignore things. That are actually very dangerous, uh, and I think that that, in addition to all the T cells, as you said, we we know that people who have gotten gobs of these vaccines are at much higher risk for COVID. But it appears that they are much higher risk for other things that their immune system should be fighting off, like cancers. Um, so I, I think I, I think that the Ig shift, if you will, may be a contributor to that to that as well. Um, so it, it keep published. going from there.
3: Yeah, we actually published on this, uh, this IgG4 shift is, is what it's called. And it's what's fascinating about this is this was discovered uh, a few months ago. So it's it's been less than a year that this was discovered. And what's interesting is you start to see the body producing this IgG4 antibody after you've had two shots. And it's specific mm-hmm. to the mRNA vaccines. I want to stress that it's the Pfizer oh, okay. and Moderna vaccines where you see this IgG4 shift. You're not seeing it with the AstraZeneca or the J&J. And so once you've had two shots, the body starts to produce this this tolerant antibody to the spike protein. Mm -hmm. But if you have had your third shot, your booster shot, those levels go up 500 times. So you get a 500 fold increase just between COVID vaccine number two to COVID vaccine number three. And then you start producing large amounts of this, this tolerant antibody to the spike protein. And it really, this antibody, this IgG4 antibody seems to completely mess up cancer surveillance in that um, it interferes with the other antibodies that are involved in cancer surveillance, like IgG1 and 3. And it seems to almost uh, hide the cancer cells from the immune system by saying, look, like you said, this is not a problem. Don't worry about it because it's trying to create a tolerance for the spike protein. But now you've created tolerance to cancer cells as well. As as an unintended consequence, and yeah. so this is a this is a big area of research right now. Where and it seems that the more COVID vaccines you take, the more you increase your levels of IgG4, and the more you damage your cancer surveillance. So this is a this is a very serious issue uh, in terms of damaging the immune system.
1: Has there been a study, uh, William, to tell whether that starts to tail off after a while? Are you seeing, did you, there's an uptick, but do we, are you seeing any decrease or does it just seem to be going on in
3: perpetuity? Well, you know, I can tell you from data that I've seen in the double vaccinated and when we were still getting data from the Canadian government and the Australian government, when the quadruple vaccinated were filling the hospitals and then the triple vaccinated, the double vaccinated were doing much better. And the double vaccinated Mm -hmm. had stopped taking the COVID vaccines and they were at least a year, year and a half from their last dose. And they seemed to be having immune system recovery. So they were getting infected at a much lower rate than the triple and quadruple vaccinated. It wasn't back to baseline. It wasn't as good as the unvaccinated, but they did have recovery. And this is what I've been trying to stress is that people have to stop taking these shots. They have to stop taking these mRNA shots and you have to give your body a chance to recover, but it's a slow process. So you need at least a year, year and a half for your body to start, your immune system to start recovering Mm -hmm. from this Mm -hmm. damage. And for that, you have to stop taking the shots because the moment you take another shot, you've exposed your body to the antigen all over again and you're back to square one in terms of the immune damage.
1: So then take the next, so we, you know, that's a very brief, uh, you know, touching on the immune component that may be contributing to these cancers. And it seems very clear to me, not difficult, even for a lay person, I think to understand that, um, so you you brought up a very important fourth bucket that I, I had not uh, included in there. I think you're right. This DNA contamination. Uh, we talked with um, with Joshua Getzko and uh, about that about the kind of what we called bait and switch and the fact that the uh, the process, if you will, that they ended up using and launching to the public to create these vaccines uh, ended up putting a lot of dna or leaving dna contamination in there talk about that uh and and how that might be contributing to the cancer increase
3: you know it all links together um when you had your guest talk about how the the vaccines that were made for the clinical trials for pfizer and moderna Were different from the vaccines Mm -hmm. that were released to the public, which were mass produced. And this this mass production, which is done through DNA plasmids, these these rings of DNA that they put into E. coli, and then they grow E. coli into very large Mm -hmm. numbers, and they extract these DNA plasmids. Now, these DNA plasmids have the spike protein sequence in them, and then they use these DNA plasmids to create the mRNA, and of course, they modify the mRNA with the pseudouridine, which again, is it is involved uh, in immune suppression through toll-like receptors. Uh, but what they were supposed to get rid of this DNA, these DNA plasmids, this, this contaminants, and they didn't. And, and so uh, Kevin McKernan, US geneticist, has found large concentrations of DNA contamination in both the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Now he has found not just the DNA rings, but he has found fragments of DNA from these rings all different kinds of sizes. The danger with this type of contamination, and it's it's a large amount of contamination, up to, up to 30% of the genetic code in a vaccine vial can be this DNA contamination. The problem with that is that it is very easy for foreign DNA to integrate into our genome. And if it's integrating into the wrong place, let's say it integrates into a tumor suppressor gene area. Now you've knocked off a very important tumor suppressor gene that protects you from cancer, now you've astronomically increased your risk of getting cancer. And so this is a very serious concern. It's been confirmed in labs around the world. It's been confirmed in Germany. It's been confirmed in Japan. Uh, Professor Philip Buchholz just testified in the uh, South Carolina Senate hearings uh, about this. He's a cancer geneticist with a big lab. He's confirmed this finding in in all the vials of Pfizer and Moderna. So this contamination is a very serious problem on its own. It increases cancer risk theoretically. um, And so we would need more studies to find out, you know, if there's been integration events in people who've taken these vaccines and then if those integration events are causing cancer. Now there's an additional complication. As if that wasn't bad enough, the additional additional complication is that um, Kevin McKernan discovered a sequence of the simian virus 40, SV40 promoter, he discovered this sequence in the Pfizer vials in these DNA plasmids, just in front of the spike protein sequence. Now SV40, this simian virus 40 is an oncogenic virus that causes cancer in humans and specifically it causes lymphomas and brain cancers, which are two of the top three cancers that uh, I mentioned earlier the turbo cancers that I'm seeing in COVID vaccinated patients. And there's been no explanation from Pfizer. Uh, Pfizer hasn't addressed why there is a sequence of this oncogenic virus, SV40 virus, why it's present in these DNA plasmids, in their product, in their vaccine vials. This is terrifying.
1: I feel like I'm living a sci fi horror film, except that it's not fiction. Um, This is Joshua Getzko, who we we spoke with about this DNA plasmid contamination, is going to be back tomorrow with uh, Naomi Wolf to talk more about it. Uh, But the idea that I'm even using the word contamination within a product that was mass mandated on the you know the entirety of the globe uh, is really horrific. Uh, I mean, it's bad enough that anybody would choose to take something of their own you know, volition and end up getting a contaminated thing. But the idea that we mandated something that is this either it's one of two things, either there was absolute complete disregard for good manufacturing processes and quality control, or it's something more nefarious, uh, you know, and they purposefully uh, contaminated these things. Either way, you cut it, it's, it's horrific. Um, so the DNA piece, absolutely, as you've just laid out uh, very clearly, could be contributing to specifically to these cancers. And as you said, the lymphomas and the and the brain cancers. So the two other things that I had thrown out there, um, the toxicity of the lipid nanoparticles and the toxicity of the spike proteins themselves. Do you think in your experience that those could be contributing factors to the cancer rates?
3: There is a risk. And I just wanna tie up the, the last point on this DNA mm-hmm. contamination. I want to stress that this manufacturing process, Pfizer and Moderna have stated very clearly that they're going to continue using this manufacturing process for all COVID boosters and all future mRNA vaccines. And, and, and so now we've recently had, two weeks ago, we've had uh, recommendations by FDA and Health Canada to for these new COVID booster shots uh, to be rolled out in children as young as six months old in pregnant women at any stage of pregnancy, in young people, young adults of all ages. Uh, and these recommendations were pushed out just a few weeks ago. And, and so this is a very serious problem. I mean, these products should be immediately taken off the market. And what right. we see instead, we see the Nobel Prize awarded to you know right. the two scientists who came up with some of these modifications that may be causing the immune system damage, like the pseudouridine. Uh, modifications which were invented by Dr. Carrico and Dr. Wiseman that they've modified, artificially modified the mRNA to put these euros, you know, pseudouridine sequences in that are, you know, causing uh, potentially damage to the immune system. So I just wanted to mention that that this manufacturing, Pfizer and Moderna have not addressed this issue. They're going to continue the same manufacturing process with all the boosters and future vaccines. Now the spike protein um, has on its own, has toxicity. Uh, It interacts with tumor suppressor proteins like P53, like BRCA1, BRCA1, Mm -hmm. which is implicated in breast cancer and ovarian cancer. P53 is implicated in many cancers like colon cancer, lung cancer, hepatobiliary cancers. It seems to interact with these tumor suppressor proteins and it, it seems to negatively impact them. So the spike protein itself, uh, causes problems wherever it is expressed in the body. Uh, it also seems to interfere with DNA repair. There was a paper that had come out showing that it it interferes with DNA repair mechanisms. And again, if you mess with DNA repair, you increase your risk of cancer. So spike protein is very problematic. Now the lipid nanoparticles themselves are problematic as well. So you know I'm of the opinion that. Uh, one day they'll try to rehabilitate this entire lipid nanoparticle mRNA platform and try to blame the spike protein for everything. And I don't believe that the spike protein is the cause of all the COVID vaccine injuries and deaths. It's the entire platform that's faulty. And the problem with the lipid nanoparticles is that they don't stay in the arm. They are immediately uh, end up in, in the bloodstream and they get delivered to the bone marrow When they get delivered to the bone marrow, they're transfecting stem cells. Uh, They get delivered to various organs. They are processed in the liver. Uh, They're they're filtered through the hepatobiliary system. So now we're seeing aggressive cancers of the liver, of the gallbladder, of the pancreas, and the colon cancers. Uh, They get processed in the kidneys. You end up with aggressive kidney cancers. Um, You know, they end up in the heart. They end up in, in the brain. And, you know, the lipid nanoparticles, they cross the placenta, so they end up in the fetus. Right. These are extremely dangerous products for pregnant women at all stages of pregnancy. You know, in the first trimester, we see congenital malformations in babies in COVID-vaccinated women, malformations of the brain, heart, limbs. We see miscarriages. We see stillbirths. We see skyrocketing deaths of babies. Uh, When women get vaccinated in the second and third trimester, the, the fetus stops growing Uh, The woman can go into premature labor, we see uh, increased deaths during delivery, we see postpartum deaths, young mothers collapsing, dying after delivery. So the entire lipid nanoparticle platform is problematic. The lipid nanoparticles themselves are inflammatory and cause immune system issues. We don't know the extent of, of those issues yet. But just by the very fact that the lipid nanoparticles go systemic, and whatever protein you put in there, whatever mRNA you're putting in there, you are systemically delivering a foreign protein to the bone marrow, to the various organs, uh, where you get expression of this foreign protein, where you shouldn't get expression, and it causes all kinds of catastrophic complications. So I truly want to stress that it is the lipid nanoparticle mRNA platform that is highly problematic and should be, should be halted, should be taken off the market, should be suspended um, until we get independent inv- investigations of this uh, platform.
1: I, I agree with you. I think there, while the uh, spike proteins clearly are problematic, I think that not enough has been talked about with the lipid nanoparticles themselves. Drew and I did an entire show on lipid nanoparticles probably a year ago now. We have known for decades that they can cause great harm. Uh, people love the platform because there are lots of things that you can hide within a, or, or hide or you know, transport within a little globule called a lipid nanoparticle. And people have been working for decades and how can we get different drugs to certain parts of the body by encapsulating them in this little fat globule. Uh, but we've also known of their high toxicity, um, particularly to the reproductive organs, as you said, to the bone marrow, lots of problems. And, you know, the idea that this stuff did not stay in your deltoid muscle in your arm uh, was well known. That was one of the great lies people were told is that you're going to get injected in the arm and that this stuff is going to stay there. They knew darn well that wasn't the case. And it ends up in every major organ system in a matter of hours. And uh, I think that the lipid nanoparticles are undoubtedly a big contributor to all of the uh, the various adverse events and certainly the cancers. Um, I'm watching the clockwise down here tell me a little bit about what is what you're seeing in canada we were talking before we came on air you and i about what's happening you would think in light of this tsunami of evidence and that's what it is that you would have to be living under a rock to not know that there are problems out there you would think that they would be backing off what are you seeing actually happening in canada with regard to mandates and where they're going with all of this
3: when you look at what um, health canada and you know the the public health officials like dr teresa tam are recommending they are behaving as if there have been no injuries and no deaths from the covid vaccines in the last you know almost 3 years now they're putting out the recommendations uh in babies as young as 6 months old and they're targeting the kids and i can tell you the age group six months to four years old, they're saying that they need to take two vaccines. They need to take two Moderna vaccines. And I believe for the Pfizer, it's three vaccines to be considered up to date on their vaccines. These are horrific recommendations. Again, blanket recommendation for pregnant women at any stage of pregnancy. Uh, No safety studies done on children or pregnant women, by the way, to back up uh, those recommendations. Uh, but they're aggressively pushing forward. And one thing I want to mention is that they're changing the language. They're, they're going away from the language of booster shot and they're now renaming them to annual updated vaccines that, right. you know, like a shot that you would get from your, from your family doctor. Yeah. And so they don't, they don't want the word booster because booster implies that, you know, the vaccine had failed or that you need to continue boosting a product. Why do you need to continue boosting these vaccines if they were working? Right. So they want to move towards an annual model where you're just going to get your annual shot from your doctor. And I'm worried I've read in the vaccine hesitancy literature where they really want to bring back vaccine mandates, but they want to do it through the family doctors. They want to make it so that you will not be able to visit your family doctor unless you have your updated COVID vaccines uh, and they'll make it mandatory for you to be able to even see your doctor. This is the way they're looking at bringing back quietly a type of vaccine mandate. So we have to be very careful about this. Uh, I Again, I'm pushing, uh, you know, I testified at the National Citizens Inquiry uh, about the damages of the vaccine, the injuries, the deaths of Canadian doctors, which the Canadian Medical Association is covering up. We're almost at 200 sudden deaths of fully vaccinated Canadian doctors since the vaccines rolled out. The health authorities are covering this up. They don't want any talk about injuries. You know, we have a broken uh, vaccine adverts uh, event reporting system in Canada. So VAERS is much better in the United States than the system we have in Canada, where doctors are not allowed to report vaccine injuries and deaths because they will lose their medical license. They will lose their job. Uh, there's been tremendous persecution of Canadian doctors who've been speaking out about the dangers of the vaccines. They're being silenced. Uh, they're losing their licenses. Uh, so just just terrible corruption, you know, when it comes to these products. Uh, but they are pushing ahead. They're pushing ahead as if nothing has happened in the last three years.
1: Well, that is unfortunately what we are seeing here in the United States as well. Uh, the CDC has no regulatory authority, but uh, that said, they have tremendous power. Uh, the current recommendations here in the U.S. for this from the CDC is that children six months and older get two sh- the original two-shot series. And then rather than the original booster, the bivalent booster, as you said, they now are calling it an updated uh, vaccine, and it's now the monovalent one. But still, a child would need three of these shots to be considered fully vaccinated. Uh, And although the CDC doesn't make the rules about schools or travel or anything else, the reality is that schools and other municipalities use those guidelines uh and they certainly now that it is on the childhood vaccine schedule uh schools and daycare centers will likely uh look at that and and make a requirement that people have so the cdc isn't doing it but the reality is they end up having that uh that um, ability to sway the the public or sway regulation because schools and and other places will end up following what's on the vac- the childhood vaccine schedule. So, in any anyway, event, we we have wound down the clock. Very, uh, this is fascinating, terrifying, and fascinating. Uh, Dr. Mackis, I I uh, appreciate you continuing to to bring it to us, to look at the data. Um, I don't see this ending anytime soon. I think you know, you've you pointed out, and if people didn't hear it, that the cancer rates are worse in 2023 than they were in 2022, and that is the nature of cancer. When you see uh, cellular changes and in the suppression of the immune system and the inability to recognize foreign cells or to fight them off, uh, I think, I, I fear we are likely gonna see inc- Rates even higher in 2024. Um, so uh, again, I'd really like to bring you back in in some uh, some weeks or months with an update. Um, so keep us in keep us in the loop. And again, congratulations on your new uh, your new stint at the wellness company. They're great friends.
3: Thank you, Dr. Kelly. I appreciate you having me on.
1: We'll have you back soon. Thanks, uh, Caleb. If you want to show, we'll take a quick look at the. Um, upcoming uh, shows here. Uh, and I just swear to God, we're sort of in the swamp. We're bringing, I'm happy that we have uh, Joshua Getzko and I, uh, uh, Naomi Wolf coming back tomorrow will be talking, obviously Naomi has been proven right once again uh, you know, the naysayers be damned, she uh, she continues to be on the right side of history uh, Dr. Uh, Jay is going to be with Drew on his own on the 5th uh, and then Rob Schneider and then I. we've got our friend, good friend Dr. Peter McCullough coming back on the 11th um, with updates on everything from cancers to just what he's seeing in general he is, as everybody knows then uh really a stellar a spokesperson for this entire debacle from the beginning. And then uh, my friend, Michael Turner on the 18th, who's got a great story. He is a uh, Washington state uh, based physician who was um, attacked mercilessly by the board of medicine there. And he went to great lengths to continue to treat people, uh, early COVID treatment. He's a great patriot uh, and somebody who's got a good story to tell, I think you'll really enjoy um, listening to him on the 18th so with that i will let you all go and uh, thanks for listening i will see you our drew will see you uh with me tomorrow uh with joshua Getzko and naomi wolf
0: ask dr drew is produced by caleb nation and susan pinsky as a reminder the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care diagnosis or treatment this show is intended for educational and informational purposes only